This episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is brought to you by my friends at 10th Ward Distilling Company. 10th Ward Distilling Company is a woman-owned craft distillery located in the heart of historic downtown Frederick, Maryland. Known for their non-traditional and unconventional approach, 10th Ward produces a variety of spirits including whiskey, gin, limited one-time only releases, and Maryland's first and only absinthe. And let me tell you folks, that's something special. You can visit their cocktail lab and barrel room in downtown Frederick for tastings, spirit flights, cocktail creations, tours, and private events. And check this out. They just produced their first canned cocktail. It's called Corpse Reviver Number 10. With a name like that, you know it's got to be killer. Listen, it's got the Jennifer-inspired gin, gold medal absinthe, lemon, chai vanilla bean simple syrup, it even has lavender bitters. All that stuff together is delicious, folks. And you can get it for curbside pickup if you order it off of their website. So visit their website at tenthwarddistilling.com for more information. Or follow them on Facebook or Instagram at tenthwardco. That's T-E-N-T-H-W-A-R-D-C-O. And now, let's get started. You know, we, we just wanted to create, Dennis is all about creating like a tap list that can like really resonate with a lot of different people. I'm not expecting everybody to come in here and be like, every beer is amazing, but hopefully that there's a flavor profile that aligns with someone that just came in to have a pint and doesn't want to think about what they're drinking. This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. Hello and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. And in this episode, I'll be speaking to someone who brewed the very first pint served in Silver Spring, in Montgomery County, Maryland, since the end of Prohibition. Now, as my listeners know, Silver Spring is my hometown, so I just had to speak to this dude. Jeff Ramirez is the co-founder and chief beer officer of Denizens Brewing, located in the heart of downtown Silver Spring, Maryland. Born and raised in New Jersey, Jeff has brewed his entire professional life, having previously worked in breweries in Philadelphia and in Boulder, Colorado. He's called the DMV his home for the last seven years, and we are very lucky and appreciative to have him. Since opening Denison's, along with Emily Bruno and Julie Varati, his partners, in 2014, Jeff has brewed over 150 beers. That's all of suds. This will be my first interview for this podcast that I've done virtually, so the sound quality will not be as crisp as normal. However, the conversation was superb. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Ramirez of Denizens Brewing Company. Let's all raise a glass. All right. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Ramirez, thank you for being on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. Okay, Jeff, you is the co-founder and chief beer officer officer of denizens in silver spring yes. is that correct and oh, riverdale <laughs> yeah oh yeah we'll get to that yeah you, are, oh, you have a place in riverdale 
Uh, I'm a native of Silver Spring, so it's kind of near and dear to my heart. And um, what uh, first, let's, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into brewing and some of your background? Uh, I kind of decided that I wanted to get into the business probably back in 2007. I was still an undergrad. Uh, I was junior year and was trying to really find my, my way or what I wanted to do. I'm always someone who wants to like have a plan in action uh -huh. um, and nothing was really striking me from the normal academic uh, pathway. So uh, I decided, you know, I'd already been a consumer of craft beer uh, and enjoyed it, kind of saw that it was on the uptick, at least back then, and tried homebrewing because of that. A lot of other people actually homebrewed, found passion behind it. and. Then they wanted to get in the industry. I actually chose the homebrew to see if I did like it. Found out that I did, was hooked pretty much immediately. Uh, and then 2008, once I graduated, I was in search of an apprenticeship because back then people still did that. Uh, I'm from the New Jersey tri-state area. So went to every local Jersey brewery at the time, which was not that many, uh, as well as, you know, deep into Brooklyn, which at that time was Kelso Brewing, uh, which I don't think is in existence anymore. Basically, everybody said, no, we don't do that. I don't have any need. Uh, I found a local restaurant, Trap Rock Brewing Restaurant, um, that I just got a serving job. And a few weeks in, sorry, a few months in, uh, speaking with the head brewer there, he allowed me to come in in the mornings for like four days a week. And that's how I started. I understand that you did some brewing uh, in other places in the U.S., like in Boulder, I believe. Where where else did you brew? What what took you out there? Were you did you want to get an apprenticeship? Uh, no. So you know, again. This was all kind of new to me. It wasn't really a clear path. So once I got into Trap Rock, I just did everything I could to keep in the head brewer's ear, like just to let me to go in the brew house. He was nice enough to show me even filtration and all that stuff. It was a small brew pub, but had a lot of different aspects, brewing lagers, brewing traditional ales. Uh, I then went and while working there, I took some classes, some science classes that I could have taken at my undergrad, but I, was, <laughs> but I needed to go to Siebel Institute, which I applied for. And once I got in, I had an interview there and got a job there. So it was kind of like this double-edged sword. Do I go to this education or do I go get experience? And luckily for me, they allowed me to go and work there uh, as a brewer and then take you know a few weeks at a time off to go to do the intensive courses. So I actually split this 12-week course over uh, two years while working at Iron Hill. Once I got that complete, I was there for a little bit longer and then moved out to Colorado where I worked at uh, the Mountain Sun Breweries. So I brewed at all three of their locations, original Mountain Sun, Vine Street, uh, which is in Denver, and then Southern Sun, which is in South Boulder. And yeah, I got the opportunity to really experiment there. My title was like the head brewer of Mountain Sun, uh, but because we shared all the beer, what I really was ended up doing was doing pilot recipes, um, kind of newer, just experimental stuff as much as they allowed me to. And uh, also the barrel aging program down at Pine Street, where we use their extra cellar area just to do, you know, mixed culture stuff and all that. I asked because something must have really lit a fire under you, because not only did you come to Silver Spring, I want to hear what brought you here for that. But you went on. See, some people just brew because they like it and right. maybe they end up being a brewer, brewer for somebody else. But you came to Silver Spring and ended up opening a place with your two other partners. A brewery here in Silver Spring, and you were responsible for the first pint that was sold here, like since Prohibition. So that's yeah. that's commitment. <laughs> so <laughs> so tell me about that. What made you? When was the moment you decided 
you know, I want to not only brew beer and be good at it, but own a brewery. And not only that, we're going to open one in Silver Spring, Maryland. Well, I mean, I was always kind of going where the opportunity was. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the opportunity, I was from North Jersey. The opportunity for Iron Hill was in South Jersey. So I moved down to Philadelphia, lived there for two years, Um, had an opportunity to move out to Colorado. And then because of that, I basically searched for jobs and found a job before moving out there. And basically what brought me out here was uh, Emily and Julie, my business partners, uh, they off, they're also, you know, part of my family. My, my sister-in-law, uh, Christina Bruno, uh, is Emily Bruno's sister. Uh. So like there was that link. And basically at a Christmas dinner, they asked if <laughs> I'd be interested in, uh, yeah, in opening a brewery in Silver Spring. And of course I was not, I'm not from Maryland. So I was just like, where's that? Right. Um, and they explained it, you know, they had a lot of passion for the area. Julie grew up in uh, Montgomery County. Uh, I'm not sure actually how long they've been living there, but it's been quite some time. Uh, and they're in the Woodside neighborhood uh, in Silver Spring. It's beautiful. Yeah. And basically, I was like, I'm, sh- I'm definitely open to it. Um, we got to have a business plan of sorts. And you know, Emily and Julie right away got it, got it going. And you know, that summer, this is Christmas, and then that summer they kept paying me about all this this interest. And then finally, I got out there. I think in the fall of 2013 to look at a location. And then we signed a lease uh, at the Silver Spring location, November, 2013. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, I love hearing those stories because usually things like that come together mostly by design because you have to have Mm -hmm. the skills in order to be a brewer. But uh, then there's this other element, the happenstance for you, it was the Christmas dinner. And it brought you out to a place called Silver Spring you'd never heard of. But when you got out here, when you got out here and you decided, and I, I want to hear this too, when you got out here and decided to open this place, because I used to do some reporting in Annapolis. And so mm-hmm. I know, you know, I know that uh, uh, Comptroller Francho and a lot of people really pushed for uh, places, to, breweries to open up and be able to serve their product on premises and all of that. But that, it doesn't sound like that was around when you decided to buy into uh, building this play or or building this business or forming this business. So um, tell me how that kind of unfolded. Well, um, Julie Verratti, my other business partner, she basically asked me in very casually, what, how do you want to sell your beer? And I'm just like, well, wouldn't we want to sell it in every avenue possible so that we can diversify and make sure that we can make as much money as we can, whether it be, you know, if we have the ability to produce more, we sell it beyond our tap room. So basically every avenue. Uh-huh. Montgomery County did not allow that. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, before even starting this venture, I remember I was speaking with two people, um, one from uh, Allagash, but she was at Sly Fox at the time. And then one from Dogfish Head, sales reps that I was friends with in uh, Philadelphia, basically warning me about Montgomery County and the laws. And, <laughs> right. And, because of the Department of Liquor Control, you know, they mark up your beer beyond, so beyond a normal markup of a distributor. So you have the distributor, then you have the markup from there. So you're losing on it. It's going to this one warehouse. Um, it was a whole kind of nightmare aspect uh, for your product, basically. And so Julie takes it on herself to go and, you know, lobby for the ability to self-distribute. Uh, which allows us to not to sign with a distributor before, um, you know, really knowing what our brand is. So we can have the in-person uh, communication with customers in Montgomery County. 
Um, also, the ability to sell pints over the, you know, directly to consumers. Uh, we didn't have a kitchen of our own at the time, but we did link with a barbecue joint, and we just had to have a certain percentage. Uh, that was 60-40 uh, beer sales to to food sales away from, I think it was inverse before, um, or at least 50-50. But yeah, you know, we, we had all that stuff. So Julia's just like, yeah, sure, we'll do this. Lobbied for it, got it changed. And uh -huh. I was like, okay. And so that was the, that allowed us to do what we wanted to kind of, uh, you know, set the stage for denizens in Silver Spring, in Montgomery County, in Maryland, of like what we were doing. And, you know, the fun part of it is just thinking about with our core beers is that, you know, we have, we added one to it, which is the Animal Hazy IPA, but Born Bohemian, Czech Pilsner, uh, Southside Rye IPA, and the third party triple were all on the opening tap list. And then our two seasonals were the other two taps, Lowest Lord ESB and then Big Red Norm, which are, you know, they're about biannual seasonal. So okay. it's over half the year. But. So those five flagship brands have been there since day one. Right. And they've stayed. So tell me, how does it feel to be a trailblazer? Because since then, you know, there's been a lot of breweries or a number that open up in Montgomery County and you guys really busted the door down for them. Uh, I mean, I don't really think of it that way because but you did. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, I guess I think of it as I got to, at least from my experience in brewing, I got to learn from a lot of senior people mm -hmm. uh, along the way about just making beer out of run a brewery, all that kind of stuff. So I don't ever think of myself as a trailblazer or pioneer in that aspect. If anything, Julie would be, you know, that part for just changing the laws and just being able to just not take no for an answer. Me personally, I would have been like, okay. Those are the rules. <laughs> you know what we're doing. So you started, or you have successfully established a barrel aging program there at Denison. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, tell me about getting that up to speed, and what are your what were your goals in setting that up? Uh, I mean, what type yeah. of beer did you have in mind to age? I would say it's definitely mixed culture sour was always the goal. Um, however, we do do and have always done uh, clean beer, such as, you know, our Chapless Horseman, which is a Russian Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels, which is kind of a no-brainer beer for barrel aging. You know, we've done a bunch of different stuff where we've had quadruples just aged in red wine barrels, you know, neutral. We've done mixed culture where it'd be, you know, wild, you know, wild yeast, quote unquote, like the Britannomyces genus, um, lacto and PDO uh, bacteria in there. Uh, and basically, you know, we, we just wanted to create, Dennis is all about creating like a tap list that can like really resonate with a lot of different people. I'm not expecting everybody to come in here and be like, every beer is amazing, but hopefully <laughs> there's a flavor profile that aligns with someone that just came in to have a pint and doesn't want to think about what they're drinking. So, so at present, like how many taps, let me tell the audience that if they tend to listen to this later on, we're recording this in the fall, actually the day after the election in the yeah. <laughs> in, right in the middle of the covid situation so did for in store it's i'm sure it has changed since mm -hmm. that has come on but when you were before that happened before the pandemic how many taps would you have active uh or flowing at the so, time at the riverdale location we have uh 20 drafts in lot uh inside mm -hmm. and at the silver spring location we actually have like three bars so it's kind of more haphazard we have the beer garden which is one of our bigger draws uh just with the outdoor seating mm -hmm. large outdoor seating that's comfortable um that has 20 taps out there 
Inside, we have a split system for the upper tap room and the lower tap room uh, that, you know, we'd have 10 on each, but then we'll have the four on this kegerator is more for specialty. So for slower moving, kind of the barrel age aspect beers that we didn't think need to be ran through a long line because the volume is not, uh, not having the same velocity as these other ones. Tell me about that. The name? Yes. Uh, when it comes to Emily, Julia, and myself, besides the family link, you know, we weren't, um, lack of a word, like at the time there were a lot of heavy metal breweries coming out, um, just like more culturally outside of craft beer, they would have kind of something that would link them all together and then they want to open a brewery together. We were just, we just liked the idea of having a place for people to kind of come enjoy themselves, really just any kind of person, you know, Silver Spring is such a diverse community, uh, from backgrounds that we wanted to make sure that everybody that is, you know, coming, you know, basically at walking distance can come in, feel like they have a home, have a beverage that they can enjoy. Uh, and that was basically the goal on Denizens, you know, as a local, as a regular, like however you, you describe it, it just kind of encompasses our location. We want the local people to come and congregate and enjoy a beer. You definitely succeeded in doing that. I think you're, uh, for those who don't know where Silver Spring is, it's right on the Northwest border of the District of Columbia. So you are, and you're right by the uh, Red Line Metro station yeah. or relatively close. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a great situation uh, for you guys. Have you gone, gotten into the hard seltzer? We know? have. Um, that was, you know, again, with the way the craft beer community is, everything is, you constantly have to adapt and all that. Right. Uh, with that being on the rise, we thought it did fit within our brand. You know, if we're trying to provide a beverage for everyone, you know, Kurt, we originally didn't open with a full bar, but now we have a full bar with wine, liquor. Um, we have a full kitchen. So I think having a hard seltzer that we produced because we had the ability to made sense. But we didn't want to do necessarily a large launch of it. You know, ours is Montgomery County focused specifically. Uh -huh. And the consumption is, you know, pretty high for just that small footprint in Montgomery County and through our tap rooms. So. You mentioned the bourbon barrels. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you do any collaborations with uh, any local distilleries or, or wineries? Uh, I know some other breweries do that. Is that where you get your, where do you get your bourbon barrels? Uh, I mean, it's been a mix, but we've usually used uh, brokers uh, mainly because uh -huh. When we fit it into production, um, we have we don't have the volume to source like a truckload, right? And so, if we go to local distillers, they usually have barrels when we don't need them, <laughs> and then they dry out. So, uh, besides all those efforts for more uh, localized uh, barrels and such, we've been using brokers um, that you know get these efficiently, house them in Virginia, and then we'll get shipments of them uh, periodically when we need to refresh them. Uh, I mean, bourbon barrel aged beers kind of need that fresh barrel, um, but wood barrels can be, you know, reused for other items just as, you know, for the mixed culture and stuff. <laughs> Since you did some brewing in Colorado, and I'm asking, this is really a question. This isn't just a subtle question. I don't know, because my background really is in wine. Okay. And I know in certain regions of the country, you can, you know, certain, because of the grapes, because of the terroir, because of the climate, you know, you can't really produce a particular type of wine because it just doesn't do well there. And I know that in beer, water is a big mm -hmm. 
ingredient. I mean, that's why, you know, sure. that was Coors' big thing with their beer. Is there any beer that you could brew in Colorado or any type of beer that you could brew in Colorado that wouldn't be such a good idea to do here or in vice versa? Have you found that? Well, I mean, it depends if you're using just straight city water. Uh, mm -hmm. We Our water comes through, uh, you know, a three cubic foot filtration system, then goes to a water softener. But even the water analysis before that, the brewing water, at least that we get both at our Silver Spring and our Riverdale Park location, is pretty ideal for brewing. Now, I'm not, I've been told that other DC sources have not been as ideal, mm -hmm. uh, but for ours specifically, we don't, we don't have the mix where like it pulls from a different location. We're just in a good location for the water source specifically, and we haven't seen fluctuations or anything like that. How we got lucky like that, I don't know, but Candace Silver Spring, it was something that we checked after the fact. We were lucky about that. And then luckily Riverdale was almost an exact match to our Silver Spring location to then scale up these beers. So Silver Spring opened in 2014, correct? Mm -hmm. And Riverdale Park opened uh, last year, which would be 2019. Is that right? Correct. Uh, tell me what about that decision? When did you when did you have the idea that you would want to expand, or was that always part of the business plan? And why there? It was always part of the business plan to expand, um, mainly because you know when we chose the Silver Spring location, it was filled with the amount of fermenters we could we could put in there, basically. Uh -huh. So the decision was like, are we trying to expand outside of this or are we trying to just serve our customers that are coming directly here? Um, and we were trying to obviously serve our customers coming there. And those are, you know, our, our main bread and butter people, but we were also trying to expand outside of it. So we invested in a bigger cooler versus serving tanks where the beer would be served directly from the, from the tanks themselves. We went a few years and we kind of like flatlined barrelage wise, um, and we realized we invested in a canning line, uh, canning, I call it canning filler because there's no line at that location. We're basically hand loading cans and hand unpacking them. And we're able to do a certain, you know, get our name out there locally with our cans. Um, and then due to that, it showed that we did have more demand. So we were able to secure a loan and put this into action. Um, now, you know, granted the whole goal of Riverdale as an expan expansion facility, produce more beer, more canned beer specifically. But we didn't want to give up on our, you know, taproom experience. We do have full kitchen, full bar, all that. So we do have a nice one floor here. Obviously, there's three low, three kind of bars at the old location. This is a little more manageable, uh, but still the same full kitchen, full, uh, full liquor, full wine uh, experience. And we didn't want to give that up by just putting, you know, production facility in the stick somewhere. So. Where locally, just off the top of your head, can you find your cans besides? Uh, Riverdale and Silver Spring. Do you have, are you, are some local vendors carrying your beers? Canned beers? Uh, are you talking about in Silver, are, are we speaking Montgomery County specifically? Um, no. I can, um, I can pull up the delivery calendar right now if you want. Um, <laughs> whatever's easier. Whatever's easier. I was. I'm looking at our delivery calendar today. We went to Hoppin Crew, Locavino, Mom's Organic. Delivery Choice, Choice Beer Wine, Tacoma Co-op, Sligo Creek Golf Course, Viridian Market, which is right next door to our Silver Spring location, Country Boy, Parkway Deli, you know, the list goes on, No yeah. Station. Yeah. Um, yeah. I won't bore with the rest of it. What, uh, <laughs> is there a particular um, beer that's more popular? What's your most popular beer in your cans? Uh, I mean, there's... 
we have different distribution outlets. So we okay. distribute, obviously, Montgomery County. Uh, we distribute through Legends, which is in you know Northern Maryland uh, and D.C. And then we also have Ferment Nation, uh, which is in the northern part of Virginia for us. And, you know, it kind of mixes. Down in Virginia, you know, our Georgia app, Peach Berliner Vice, um, does really well there. Also, our third-party triple and our PGC Premium, which is a seasonal lager. Um, you know, in Montgomery County, Warren Bohemian, our Czech Pilsner, does really well. Um, Animal, Hazy IPA does well as well. Uh, and then for Legends, you know, I would say our Animal is the definitely the leader. Um, and they, they, as a company, just sell a lot of IPA in general. So. You have favorites. Everyone has a favorite. I know they're all your children. But if, if you get that. Uh... I always have an, I have an affinity towards lagers specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so Warren Bohemian was the was the one beer that I was like, we're doing this. I was like, we need to make a Czech Pilsner. Like there wasn't any, nobody in this area was making Czech Pilsner or really just lagers at the time, except for Chop House, which is a, you know, a DC uh, brew pub. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is, this is the beer that I want to drink. This is the beer that, you know, based on data over decades, people want to drink, you know, so let's make sure that we make, make a, a solid Pilsner. And that was the first beer we brewed. And again, you know, here it is today doing well for us. And just, you know, in general, that's my favorite core. Um, we also do this Maybach, uh, it's called Macadocious. Uh, and I like it. That's actually probably my favorite shift beer, uh, for better or for worse, because it is like 7.1% alcohol. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, you know, it's a pale lager that has uh, a nice uh, Whirlpool edition of Fuel Melon Hops, which has a little bit of noble, a little bit of New World kind of character. And it's just like a, a nice drinking beer, you know, kind of touches all the points hmm. uh, for me specifically, except for Belgium, you know. But now, is that your own recipe? Did you sort of create that, or did you? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I spent time in Germany uh, at the end of the uh, brewing school for Siebel, mm -hmm. and you know, Hellesbach, Maybach was one of the lagers that really stood out to me to be able to drink over there specifically. Um, I like. I like both, you know, Hell's Boxers being a little bit lower in ABV, but I don't know, I just enjoy that multi sweetness that's not cloying. Um, for lack of a better word, it's a beer you can sink your teeth into, you know, while still being refreshing. So, okay. If you could, and I'm going to use 2013 since you guys opened in 2014, if you could send a message back in time to yourself in 2013. And tell yourself something that you know now, but you didn't know then, but you wish you knew then. Uh, right. Is there, what would you tell yourself? I mean, loosely would be don't try to do too much, especially with beer production. Um, you know, I came into this company as an owner operator while still having like a brewer mentality that's very much wanting to create new things and all that stuff. Um, but again, you know, the, you're trying to build a brand, not just for your company, but for the locals there and create beers you know, of the highest quality that they want and that you also want to make, but they also want. So I think we spent a lot of time making you know, new beers that were interesting, um, but not necessarily necessary. So it was kind of like that brew pub mentality, but we were also, we were this mixed thing that was kind of new at the time. You know, right. when I started trying to get into beer, there was production facility and there was brew pub. 
and that was it. I I wanted to go towards brew pub, even though you know it's a tougher business model, and they're having a tough time right now, specifically um, with COVID, with everything, because you got the ability to make the beer and see people enjoy it over the counter and have a little bit of creativity. Um, production breweries were more like manufacturing jobs. You know, you're just getting it in, getting it out kind of thing. Now, you know, with the, basically when I was leaving Colorado, the tap room model kind of was getting bigger out there. So we decided to kind of lean that way. And because of that, I'm getting a little bit farther down the rabbit hole, but basically I think I've, lost the vision that we needed to create these beers and grow them versus growing a bunch of different beers. Right. Um, and we, as a company, we've done that, I think over the last few years um, and really dialed back a lot of the brands in volume, what we produce, but we produce them in smaller volumes for our taproom and more local community so that we can have that creativity on site, but really focus on, you know, getting these beers out in the world as best we can, the core ones. You kind of led into what I was going to ask you next, you know, in future plans, do you have any future plans, projects, events you'd like to tell everybody about and how are you all dealing with the pandemic as far as serving your customers? Yeah. I mean, how can we get your beer? In other words. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a new, well, first we'll talk about what we're doing production wise. You know, when we didn't know if we could serve people over the, in the restaurant, all that stuff beer production shifted drastically to just Riverdale and anything that we're putting into cans is what we're producing. Since the summer that we, uh, we have basically been able to operate, people have been coming out, supporting us, which we appreciate. They're continuing to in, in the beginning of November here. Um, we basically started producing smaller volumes of beer to, to have people come on site and just have a little bit more unique experience than just you know whatever we're putting into cans. We've also had a lot of barrel-aged projects that we're able to blend and put in bottles. So we've invested in a small bottle filler. We have these 375 ml bottles on site. Um, we're releasing actually two new ones. I'm pretty sure we'll be here for Thanksgiving. Uh, one is actually a repeat. It's the Chapless Horseman, our bourbon barrel-aged Russian Imperial Stout. Uh, the other one is called Nochiola, which is a uh, Baltic Porter uh, that was aged in bourbon barrels, and then we add a hazelnut flavoring to it at the end to kind of give like a digestive kind of aspect to it, Frangelico, if you will. Wow. Um, and hopefully that's, that will be released uh, right before Thanksgiving. So uh, beyond that, we're still doing mixed culture stuff. So we, we have our uh, Berry Petite will be rebottled again, uh, probably in 2021. Uh, and we're just constantly, we're doing new barrel projects in bottles specifically. Uh, beyond that, though, we're also doing some throwback seasonals for our original customers. We had Short Session, uh, which is this West Coast, you know, basically a triple IPA, like 10% alcohol. And, you know, there's been a lot of loyal customers in Silver Spring that have asked for this beer. So we're taking the time now because we have the production throughput to create it, put it in a bottle and so they can have something remembering better times, you know. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let me give you, I'm going to give you the last word on craft brewing tell about the craft brewing industry in maryland is there anything you want to let the audience know about what's going on here in maryland uh i think i think you originally asked is there anything that distinguished it from yeah. the the rest of the nation and it's kind of talking with brian our marketing director about it nowadays it's almost like i think of like 
Nashville hot chicken, right? Not doesn't have that big of history, but somehow now you can get it everywhere in the U.S. Uh-huh. You know, the first wave of craft brewers, um, they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. They their best examples were reading obscure books and drinking beer, and then you know that's like let's call it late '80s, early '90s, and then 2000s like created this generation of some experienced people in the U.S. that are then experimenting, experimenting, and now because of the internet and those people, you know, who've either traveled out to Colorado to the West coast have come back home and are brewing here now. Uh, I think that all the information is kind of everywhere. And now you're able to get all these different styles. Like when I was in Colorado, it was, that was only six years ago. It was hard to find a lager. Wow. Cause they were making like West coast IPA and like they were really Colorado focused. Yeah. Uh, distributors and all that stuff, which is great. But now, you know, in DC, DC, greater DMV area, the DC market has had access to all different kinds of beers because the distribution laws have been so lax and people could bring them in. So I feel when craft brewers came here and started building breweries, the market almost had these expectations that you had to do everything. You couldn't just do the one thing. So I feel like a lot of breweries here end up, you know, doing trendy things, doing traditional things, doing barrel aging because the market demands it because they've had access to it, but not through like a local level for the longest time. So I would say that the DMV area jumped into it, you know, whole body, you know, not just putting the toe into it and they're, you know, they're getting their legs under them, you know, continually. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great answer, by the way. <laughs> so uh, Jeffrey Mears, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I'd like to recommend, I've been to your place in Silver Spring uh, more than a few times. Uh, for those of you who uh, frequent Silver Spring and haven't been there and would like to you know, drink a pint or two, I highly recommend you stop by. I'm going to check out your Riverdale uh, site. Don't get over to PG a lot. I, I used to sell houses, so um, I did a lot of work over there, but uh, yeah. now I have a reason to go over there and uh, frequent. <laughs> well, both locations too. You can order online. You know, uh, any of the beer that we offer to take out, whether it be in bottle, can, growler. Uh, we even do direct to consumer deliveries if people want that still, um, or we'll drive it to a certain location. Not really sure the radius right now. We've expanded a little bit into Northeast DC and into Prince George's County, but something to look into if you're looking for beer brought to your home. And like I said. The- a link to the website will be in the show notes. So, yes. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'll be seeing you soon. All right. Thanks, Howard. Bye bye. Well, that's another show in the books. I'd like to thank Jeff and all the great people down at Denizens for sharing a little virtual time with us. If you ever find yourself here in the DMV, you have got to check out Denizens Brewing in Silver Spring or in Riverdale. Tell them that Howard sent you. Now that's not gonna save you any money, but I just love when people drop my name. I'd also like to ask you to please subscribe to the pod if you have not already done so. I'll introduce you to some of the best folks in the DMV and surrounding areas, and that is a promise. Please tell your friends about us and have them tune in. They will thank you for it, and I know I will. I'm all about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV because it's some of the best in the nation, if not the world. And if you agree with that, please share the pod. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out, the more we can support these small businesses and promote the craft beverage culture in the DMV. And that, my friends, is a great thing. 
This podcast was produced by my friends at Q9. Listen, if they can make a hack like me sound good, imagine what they could do for someone who is a little less hackish. If you're in the podcast biz, please Google Q9 and ask about their services. They're worth a peek. Trust me. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce you to. I know there is a ton of media out there that you could be listening to besides me, and that's why I work so hard to bring you the content that I do. I truly appreciate your time investment in me, so thanks again for listening. And remember, always have a designated driver, so I'll see you next time. Ispicata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.